the key word in what you just said is informed. Yes. And in the age of information, that's a loaded word because... What does it consist of? Yeah. How good is the information? What's your source? What's your source? Who's supporting your source? There's probably an agenda behind your source. Is it science? Is it spiritual? It, it, is it, exactly. All that stuff comes up automatically now whenever anybody says, I found this very interesting article on this website. You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 136, pH Factor, Muzzling Descent, Access Denied. I know you're familiar with Voltaire, but I'm not sure if you're familiar with Evelyn Beatrice Hall. No. So this is her quote. I disapprove of what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. Oh, when did she 1906. 1806? 1906. 1906. I'm thinking of actually starting the podcast with something like that. Why don't you? Can you do it in her voice? I disapprove of what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say. That's so wimpy. Evelyn Beatrice Women Hall. are going to hate you. That's what we sound like. <laughs> I disapprove of what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. That's Evelyn Beatrice you? Hall. Beatrice Hall. English author Evelyn Beatrice Hall in 1906, written in The Friends of Voltaire as an illustration of Voltaire's beliefs. This quotation, which is sometimes misattributed to Voltaire himself, is often cited to describe the principle of freedom of speech. Okay, very good. So where are the modern Beatrice Halls? They all went into hiding. That's not Where so far from the truth, is it? No, it isn't. Where are they? Where are the fighters for, for free speech? Stick in your side, isn't it, Harry, this whole freedom <sighs> of speech thing? A, yeah, in my craw. Right in it's the craw. Stuck right in my craw. I have this visual. It's craw, awful. Craw, awful, just craw. awful. It's an awful visual I'm getting <laughs> right now. Craw, <laughs> Anyway, you know, we've been talking off and on on this subject, coffee conversations. We've had a couple of social events where we've touched on this subject as well. Yes, we have. Well, according to the title, Muscling Dissent, Access mm -hmm. Denied. So it's really about being cut off from free speech. Yeah, you know, once upon a time in the good old days, they would just kill whoever was a dissident. Just knock you off, cart you away, disappear you, assassinate you. Martin Luther King? Yeah. Ah, get rid of him. Boom, right, gone. Right. These days, the gun is... Cutting off the microphone? Cutting off the microphone. Unfriending not representing that point of view in the overall argument of things, omitting the argument. In other words, no more debating. Yeah, well, no more discoursing or dialoguing. There is debate. Right. But it's polarized debate and it doesn't go anywhere. And then at a certain point, one side or the other basically censors the other, cuts them off, cuts the mic. Now, you had a couple of recent examples that you uh, had discussed with me with regards to this, one of them specifically on Facebook. Yeah, and both have to do with the same subject matter. 
funnily enough, the Great Barrington Declaration. Mm. And for those who don't know what that is, it came out a few weeks ago. Numbers of epidemiologists and doctors around the world got together and they went over all of the strategies to do with COVID and how governments are handling it. And they came up with a declaration which was quite different from the mainstream strategy Mm. and somewhat controversial because of what it is. And so I uploaded that declaration on my Facebook page because I wanted people to see it and read it and get Mm. their own thoughts about it. And so what happened was immediately, someone whom I know commented and attacked the declaration as dangerous Mm. and attacked, in a sense, my impulse to share it as dangerous and wrongheaded. And so when I began to engage that person in a dialogue on the Facebook page in the thread, there was a point where he just said, Oh, I'm tired of this specious, unscientific bullshit. Mm -hmm. I'm unfriending you. Boom. So, okay, fine. But the thing is that that person not only censored me in terms of what they're hearing, but they also censored all of their friends on their Facebook page that would also see that thread that they're in. Right. So they basically censored hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands, who knows, of people in terms of what they are exposed to, mm-hmm. subject to, can hear. In a single stroke, right. just eliminated all those ears. Exactly. So, or eyes. So basically, this person was controlling not only his ears, but the ears of hundreds, maybe thousands of other people. Maybe more, because people share these things. Mm-hmm. You know? So that's one interesting element of censorship that you see on social media, is the unfriending thing. So the second connection to the Great Barrington Declaration was I was listening to the CBC radio yesterday or the day before, I forget. I think you you mentioned it was yesterday morning. Yesterday morning. Right. And interestingly enough, on The Current, Matt Galloway raised the Great Barrington Declaration, said this thing has come out, it's interesting, it's a bit controversial, and here is kind of what it's about. And we have three guests today on the program to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Epidemiologist so-and-so, immunologist so-and-so, doctor so-and-so, all three of whom trashed the document and the contents of it, demeaned it, said it was being sponsored by the libertarians, so it's all political, and it's a terrible document, and it shouldn't happen, da 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 da. Nowhere on that program, in that segment, did Matt Galloway have someone from the Great Barrington Declaration on the program representing that document saying, well, hold on a second, this criticism can be countered by this statement and these facts and these documents, et cetera, Mm -hmm. et cetera. So there was no debate, no discourse, no dialogue, only a one-sided smashing down of this thing that came out, signed by thousands of eminent doctors around the world Mm -hmm. and people who weren't doctors as well, in agreement with it, and and treating it like it's a piece of trash. As opposed to giving it respect and then dialoguing. Yeah, not only treating it like a piece of trash, but telling us how to think about it as a piece of trash, without letting us actually see the document, hear the document, have somebody represent the document and talk about it and defend its right to exist. And for the record, I looked at that document and I actually supported a lot of what was in there Mm -hmm. or at least understood and appreciated it. Yeah. And uh, I totally agree with that. That kind of thing shouldn't happen. But uh, as you said, this thing seems to be happening with greater frequency. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, media 
which used to have a certain degree of integrity and would always try to present what they called balanced reporting, mm -hmm. which usually meant presenting both sides of the issue. More impartial. Yeah, interviewing one person then the other who has the opposite point of view and letting the reader, the listener, take from it and think about these two sides of the argument and decide what they want. Mm -hmm. These days, during the time of COVID especially, that's not happening at all. We're not seeing the alternative viewpoints represented in the media. In Even worse, you're ostracized if you don't agree. Yeah, you're called wackos mm -hmm. or covidiots or just dangerous to others, not compassionate to your fellow human beings, mm -hmm. blah, 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 which is bullshit. People who disagree are not, not compassionate people. I never quite understood that because I've always thought, well, what do you have to get your back up? If a person only wants to discuss something and they're willing to present their points to you yeah. and no one's being hurt by it in the sense that you both have the opportunity to respond, reply. Mm -hmm. What is the need for such aggressive censorship? Often there are people who think that it is their job in life mm. to police people's thoughts, police what is true or what is expressed as true, to make sure that people aren't spreading information that is based upon false ideas mm. or incorrect experiments or what have you. And they feel put out, they feel angry that these ideas that are pseudo-scientific or not scientific are out there floating around as possibilities. Frightening people into silence, to me, is another form of censorship. Well, sure, at a certain point, People get tired of getting smashed anytime they open their mouths or upload something onto their social media page, which is, after all, their page. Mm -hmm. I have a right to put out whatever I want to put on that page. Right. And other people might have a right to disagree with that or say, I don't think this is good information, but they don't have a right to censor it. Facebook has a right to censor if they think what I'm putting up is against mm -hmm. the policy of Facebook. Yeah. And there have been a lot of these, for example, mm -hmm. if I upload a video that I found on YouTube that I thought was interesting, yeah. that is against the way things are running right now, mm -hmm. it could get taken off. It could be censored. Even though all I'm doing is saying, look, folks, I found something that's interesting. What do you think? I'm not saying it. I'm just saying I found something out in the world. Right. And what do you think about it? I'm not a neo-Nazi saying, hey, everybody, hate Jews, come on, come around. No, I might be saying, look at what this right-wing person is saying. What do you think about that? Right. And um, then people can say, that's a Nazi and they hate Jews, so be careful, or whatever it is. Right. But right. there can be a dialogue, at least. Mm -hmm. And the dialogue serves many purposes. It's not just about eliminating or dispelling misinformation. The dialogue is also a way of saying that we're civil and we're willing to talk about whatever and come to some kind of consensus or agreement or not. Yeah. But here's the thing. In the way the discourse often goes, because we're so hepped up on authority and the power of authority to know what the truth is, you follow your doctor's orders because they're the doctor. They know. So what happens in these interchanges in social media is that the person who wants to cut down your argument says, so, are you an epidemiologist? So, do you have a doctorate in economics, the way you're talking about this issue? Are you a brain surgeon? Yeah. As if to say, because you're not 
a medical professional, you can't speak. You about can't it. think right. about the same research that they're getting. So that's a technique that right. is used by people who don't want to discourse or dialogue. They just want to cut down your argument. Mm -hmm. they, they're questioning your credentials to actually have thoughts and speak about the same research that doctors are getting mm -hmm. who are considered the authorities. And to me, that's a very key point you just described. I wanted to talk about this in everyday life for people because it translates also into what we do with doctors, with lawyers, with all people who have a level of expertise and knowledge, which we defer to mm -hmm. primarily because we assume that they have the knowledge and the skill that we don't have. And so we seek their opinion and we seek their input in order to help us out with whatever we're having. It's akin to, for example, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but let's say, let's talk about a typical medical exam where you're going to your local practitioner. And of course, he or she is the so-called expert because they have the degree, they have the knowledge. And mm -hmm. so you kind of trust their judgment. You trust their knowledge to help you out with your particular ailment or problem. Mm -hmm. So you go to your family doctor, you're having an exam, whatever, and of course, he's asking you, how do you feel and what's troubling you? And you begin with perhaps saying, I have a very sore knee. And then he may follow with, well, what have you been doing and so on? And he, he does an examination and he'll say, well, you've strained it or you've sprained it or whatever. Right. And so you assume he knows that, but perhaps you have some insight because you had the experience. And mm -hmm. so you say, by the way, this is what was happening when I felt this pain so it may have been that I did this because I felt it when I took that step. And in my opinion, the doctor would say, oh, that's good information to have or that's interesting. But some will say, well, are you trying to tell me how to do my job? Are you trying to tell me that perhaps the diagnosis I've given you mm -hmm. is incorrect? Yeah. Who's the doctor here? Who's the doctor here? Exactly. Right. It's an attitude. And that attitude that I described in a family situation or a typical situation that many people run into, whether it's a doctor, lawyer, and so on, it translates into an attitude which actually creates animosity yeah. instead of cooperation. Sure. And this is extending into our political realm, our frustration with, as you say, positions of authority uh, right. or authoritarian organizations. Well, know. yeah, what that leads to this authoritarianism leads to the control of the individual and control of the population. So, for example, during this time of COVID, we're engaging in these public health measures essentially designed to keep us alive long enough for a vaccine to come along to save the day. That's basically what's going on here, as far as I can see. Mm -hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, there. I think that's essentially what's right? happening. Yeah, not all people, but for most. Yeah. So the question is, when that vaccine comes along, will the government stay with the authoritarian tone mm -hmm. and say, we know what's best for you. We're going to enact a law where everyone has to be vaccinated. Will that happen? I would not be surprised if it did, because right now, probably upwards of 50% of people, if asked, would say, I'm not going to take it. And so that may force the government to get heavy handed. Mandate. Yeah. So again, dissenting views by law being censored and by law, you have to take the vaccine. That mm -hmm. could very well happen. So that's one area. The other area, too, is in work. A lot of companies, especially in the corporate world, you go in, you can't speak to other people in the company as human to human. Mm -hmm. You can't do that. During those hours you're at work, 
You're not allowed to say, if you're a guy, a man, to say to a woman, you know, I really like your hair. It looks really good on you. Yeah, and you mean That's, it just that way. You, you don't mean, mean anything beyond innocently, that. Innocently, yeah. but that could be construed as sexual right. harassment. Right. Which means that people stop themselves from doing that, from saying the most innocent things mm-hmm. at work. And there's hardly any sort of personal banter that happens at work. So it's as if the workplace is this alien pod that is completely separate from human to human interaction, mm-hmm. which is very strange. It's a very we, guarded environment. Yeah. And that's a relatively recent phenomenon mm-hmm. in the world of work. So there's censorship that happens there at that level as well. And my wife tells me those kinds of stories right. where people are constrained to speak their minds. And constrainment doesn't have to be enforced. It is sort of implied. Mm-hmm. Well, if HR has to step in, that's kind mm-hmm. of forced. But yes, you're right. There are gray areas where people just back off from them if they're smart, so they won't get into any kind of hot water. We're constantly censoring ourselves now, whether it's at work or whether in the creative arts. As a writer, that's work for me. I edit as I write. I don't want to say that, I want to say this. Mm -hmm. Or if I write something that comes out intuitively and it's deeply sexual and erotic and I have to go, oh, uh, there could be some people who are a little bit disturbed at reading erotica in the middle of this book. Maybe I I shouldn't put it in. Should Mm -hmm. I soften it? Should I change the words? All of that self-censorship is happening as a writer and as an artist. And so there's always a balance there between can I stick my head up above the parapet without it getting shot mm-hmm. off? Or is it safe enough to speak freely? Mm-hmm. What's that expression in the military? Oh, yes. Permission to speak freely. Right. Sir. Sir. <laughs> so you have to ask the authority if it's okay to speak honestly as a human being, being right. and not as a rank Mm-hmm. or as a member of the company, or as a member of parliament, or as whatever your role is. Well, you can't step out of it in case you get turfed. Mm-hmm. And then you can look at education, same thing in education. Yes, for the sure. The banning of books, Catcher in the Rye was banned. Mm-hmm. Fanny Hill. Fanny Hill, Hill. well, yeah. <laughs> <It did make laughs> Fanny them. Hill, you could probably understand some of it. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, I mean, mm-hmm. these classic, beautiful books mm-hmm. banned because there is a quality that could be considered racist in the book or sexual, overtly sexual or something like that. Mm-hmm. And not trusting that these young minds can actually absorb these ideas and not be perverted by them or tainted or seriously tainted, turned yeah. to crime just right. because there's criminal activity in the book whatever but that to me is the whole catch-22 of this situation speaking of great books right <laughs> you're actually perpetuating the very thing you're trying to defend against mm-hmm. because by censoring you're assuming first of all that the recipient is either incapable yep. of discerning mm-hmm. or you are trying to block it because you want to force a certain way of thinking or a certain behavior Right. So you're actually perpetuating the problem. Yeah, and you're perpetuating polarization, mm-hmm. which is what censorship ultimately does. It polarizes Puts people society. into different camps. Yeah. So, for example, you can take someone whose views are kind of polarizing himself, and that's Jordan Peterson, mm-hmm. who 
was going to be a visiting fellow at Cambridge University back in March of 2019. Mm -hmm. He wanted to do that, and the the university said, yes, come and and be here for several months and be a visiting fellow. So Jordan Peterson is a professor. Yeah. He tends to speak out against political correctness, (laughs) which means he's a target of people on the left side of the political spectrum. Mm -hmm. And so at a certain point, Cambridge University reversed its offer Right. And said, sorry, your views are not enough in agreement with the views taken by this university and mm-hmm. the student body or whatever. So what they've effectively done is taken away the opportunity mm-hmm. for young minds who have certain points of view to expand those points of view or to shift them or alter them or think about the same ideas from a different point of view. Right. And to debate, maybe, Mm -hmm. with Jordan Peterson and those ideas and to exercise the ability to debate and discuss Mm -hmm. that it's important in a young... And to think for self. To think for yourself, right. Which to me is is one of the most seriously lacking things in this entire environment. Right. So what, what happens is people are simply gathering around themselves people of the same mindset, the same ideas, which leads to polarization. Because Mm. there's groups over here, there are groups over there who are creating their own social platforms for their ideas, and you've got your own social platforms for your ideas, and they don't meet. They don't meet. There's no opportunity to shake hands, to sit in the same room and to share ideas and to discuss and debate. Certainly doesn't engender tolerance, does it? No. I mean, think about your own culture, the Italian Mm. culture, and conversations in Italy where people are gesticulating and the voices go up and there's arguments and all that. It doesn't mean people are going to hate each other. That's just a way of interacting, but it's more authentic than what happens over here, where you have to think about your thoughts and your position and you have to have the right moment to speak your mind and uh, the right context, and then you have to shut up and let them speak. And it's not a human way of interacting. It's a more controlled environment. Control. So censorship comes down to control. Humans have long had the urge to offend against the natural order, the religious order, the moral order, and in the process, they have pushed humanity forward. In fact, pretty much every leap forward in history Pretty much every freedom we enjoy is a product of individuals having given offence, having offended against the orthodoxies of their age. Offensiveness is not just something we have to begrudgingly accept. Offensiveness is the motor of human progress. Copernicus offended Christians when he said the sun was at the centre of the universe. He really hurt them. And in the process, he made the world a better, more understandable place. John Wilkes, the 18th century radical journalist, offended everyone. He packed his newspapers with sex and lies and stories about bishops buggering their maids and so on and so on. And in the process, through his struggles with the authorities, he gave birth to press freedom. suggesting that people are incapable of making a lot of decisions on their own, that they have to be guided or they have to be kind of channeled into things as opposed to creating a situation where everyone is informed Mm -hmm. 
and people are given the opportunity to discuss and then come to their own decisions and then work amongst themselves. It's like the difference between self-management and micromanagement. Mm -hmm. But the key word in what you just said is informed. Yes. And in the age of information, that's a loaded word because... What does it consist of? Yeah. How good is the information? What's your source? What's your source? Who's supporting your source? There's probably an agenda behind your source. Is it science? Is it spiritual? It, it, is it, exactly. All that stuff comes up automatically now whenever anybody says, I found this very interesting article on this website. Immediately, someone comes back with, oh, well, that website is supported by the Bill Gates Foundation, so they have an agenda exactly. there. So you can't take that information at face value, even though it had nothing to do with whatever Bill Gates is after. It did a good study or whatever it was, or mm -hmm. you know, valid study with lots of uh, participants and all that stuff. Ticks off all the boxes. Oh, no, you can't trust it. Mm -hmm. What also happens is that people look at your sources right. and they'll pull what they want from the source and say, see, this is what the source is actually saying, but they're omitting three or four statements farther along in the document, in the research, that balances out that extreme statement or softens it. But you don't take that. You use that, only the extreme part, to make your point that they're an extreme group or something. It's all selective. So you're censoring the information you're getting to choose what supports your point of view. Mm -hmm. And it's also technology-driven because if you think back, let's say 100 years ago even, before the age of recording, okay. things were presented live. A person walked the streets and he gave his message. Sure. There were no recorders. There was no videotaping. There was no ability to change what actually happened. You yeah. either got that or you got nothing. Right. Today, even this podcast, for example, when I edit the podcast, there are things that I have control over. We edit. The key word is edit. Yeah. So a lot of what's happening today in all media, especially where news agencies have to take only parts Mm. of the event because right, they cannot right. broadcast the entire event. Sure. Sound so very, bites. Very, sound bites. It's very, very easy to mix those sound bites or cut off at a specific word. In other mm -hmm. words, if you had yes. heard the word yeah. right after, yeah. you would have gotten a totally different yeah. response. Yeah. Happens all the time with the media because they can't afford the space to give you the minute and a half that would allow you to fully form your thought and to share it. They take that 20-second sound bite which makes you sound like an idiot or a genius either right, way. <laughs> right. Well, but the important thing is, is that they are in control of that. Oh, yeah. So depending Absolutely. on their particular following or their particular agenda, right. they can adjust accordingly. Right. right. And this is what's causing the increase in mistrust and why misinformation is becoming, as we mentioned on our last podcast, misinformation is now included in the doomsday clock calculations. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. That's how important it's become. Right. So how do we address what we've just talked about? This seems to be endemic everywhere where censorship abounds, whether it's in a free democracy, so-called, or in a dictatorship, there is censorship everywhere you look. What do we do about it? Well, some people would argue, and some people actually act on it, and they become media celibate, mm. mm -hmm. meaning they basically choose to turn things off. So they step out of the argument. Essentially. Okay, so there's nothing to censor because you're not actually speaking up at all. You're just stepping back. Stepping back. Now, some people might argue that that is not the right answer either because then you're getting no information to work with. Yeah, right. 
So I don't know that that's an answer, but I know that that's what some people are choosing to do. Yeah. Uh, the opposite side of that. Well, I know what my own views are. Okay. Let's hear uh, your words. My own view is that there should be more emphasis on the education part of our lives. We need to spend more time and energy on, I would call it the preamble to life, which is your early years as you're growing up as a child in school, taught independent thinking, mm -hmm. given a broader spectrum of information. Now, I don't know how necessarily you would do all of that because I don't have the ability to control the entire system. I'm speaking idealistically here from my own perspective. Yeah. Education to me is the great equalizer. When you have an informed individual, mm -hmm. and again, as you said, the word informed is loaded because informed with what? But for the purpose of this discussion, let's assume that informed is an agreed-to curriculum. Uh -huh. Once you have people who can think for themselves, the ability to control them becomes infinitely more difficult. Yeah. I think you're right that it has to be in education, educating our kids to think clearly, as you say, and to also to learn how to speak with each other, how to communicate. I know in certain educational systems, the British educational system, for mm -hmm. example, they really do take pains to teach children how to debate, these debating societies and such. That's been a long tradition in that educational system. So when you hear two British educated human beings engaging in a dialogue, often it's very educational and very interesting. And even though they're on opposite sides of the issue, mm -hmm. they're able to elucidate their ideas and their thoughts in such a way that it's not demeaning the other, it's simply responding. Ah, now you said something which to me is very, very important, and this is where the education comes in as well. And not education from a, an elitist perspective. Education from something that should be an opportunity that everyone should have. So what I mean by that is, how many times do you recall even growing up, and we'll use the case of the schoolyard bully. Yep. Typically, it was an individual, male or female, who was sort of disenfranchised. Although on the surface they appeared to be rough and tough, mm -hmm. really often quite the opposite was true. They felt at a disadvantage. They were needy. They were needy or they felt disadvantaged because perhaps they couldn't communicate properly. Yeah. Or they felt self-conscious because they didn't know what a word meant or whatever, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So it's also important not only to educate intellectually, but to also educate empathically and emotionally to understand, to help us all understand that none of us knows everything. Yeah. And that's part of how you kind of diffuse that aggression, because aggression is often a form of insecurity. Yeah. We both spent a number of years studying martial arts. Mm -hmm. What was one of the first things that you achieved after a certain period of time of practicing it, you actually became a lot gentler. Yeah, humility. And that anyone or anything, any situation could be your teacher. Exactly. That was a very valuable lesson. So you don't know everything. You're not the authority on everything. There's always an opportunity to learn from whoever you're with, no matter whether you're on the same side of the political spectrum or not. So listen. It's the art of listening. We've lost that in many ways. Well, we're not taught it enough. That's what I'm saying. In school, we're not taught the art of listening, the art of conversation and dialogue in a positive sense. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that's one side of it. The other side of it is activism. And you see that around the world. Populations that are oppressed, rising up en masse in the streets 
and it's uh, a legal right in a democracy to freely assemble peacefully and to protest. And people are doing that in different ways, whether it's Black Lives Matter or anti-masks in Berlin or whatever it is. Right. It's a way of standing up and saying, we won't be censored. Our view will not be censored. We will stand up. There will be so many of us that you'll have to take note and hear us. You can call us idiots if you like, but that word is going to get out there. It's very Gandhi-like. Yeah. Passive resistance. Yeah, yeah. Where basically you just make up your mind and you don't require a stick. You just sheer numbers. And I think also in our society, unfortunately, we seem to be driven by discomfort. It's like the way the universe works. There's chaos before there's order. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it seems like we as human beings require a level of chaos before we either go to or resume order. Sure. And the longer you oppress a population through censorship or other kinds of authoritarian measures, the more the steam builds up in the psyche of the population, and that will lead to explosion into chaos. That reminds me very much of my science classes in school, potential energy becoming kinetic. Yes, in the (laughs) beaker. The bubbling beakers exploding. We're going to blow some frogs apart today. At the risk of alienating male listeners, I feel strongly about this, actually, is the female component. Now, before I get into that, I want to say that one of our listeners made a comment to me that when she listened to our podcast, the first words that came to her mind were yin and yang. Uh I didn't bother to ask (laughs) who was which. (laughs) But along those same lines with yin and yang... I believe that that's another requirement or another possible solution. We have way too much testosterone in our world, too Mm. much male-dominated institutions, and we need a more nurtured balance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I believe that women can supply a lot of that. Yeah, if you kind of listen to women speaking about these things and listen to men, there's very interesting differences. With men, you get a more linear kind of argumentation and discussion, focusing on how do we get to the target as quickly as possible. It's very military. Very military, very efficient. But now women take the time like they would in a mall, for example. The guy goes into the mall and gets his socks and comes out. The woman goes into the mall to get her underwear, but she takes the time to wander around the mall and see if anything else strikes her fancy or or catches her attention. And women often do that with arguments and issues. They'll kind of skirt around the outside of it and kind of maybe spiral in towards the target in the middle in this very gentle roundabout way. It still gets there, but it it isn't the linear military thing we're talking about with men. So I think you're right. We have to find a more feminine side of ourselves in how we discuss these things. The journey is more important than the destination. Right, right. This is the analogy that I would use. Men are very destination-oriented. That's right. Get there no matter what. We are conditioned that way as well. You ask, what's the most common complaint, at least the most common complaint I've heard over my lifetime, is I didn't ask you the question to have my problem solved. Yes, women love to say that to men because it's true. Guys say, well, we'll just do this. (laughs) (laughs) And all the women wanted was for you to shut up and listen to them. Right. So that's another good element that relates to another possible solution to our problem. And that is the development of patience. Absolutely. Right. To have patience means to allow the other person 
to be angry or to have the opposite point of view and to fume and to do all the things they want to, and to allow them time to think about what you've just said and to maybe come around, maybe not, Mm -hmm. but allow them the opportunity to process before attacking them again and again and again the way men do. You can add to that equation, you can add tolerance, you can add empathy. Yeah. I think in order to get there from here, we need to change our curriculums in school from history and geography and mathematics and physics and music to a term focused on patience, a term focused on tolerance, a term focused on empathy, all these things you mentioned, if that was the focus of education and all the other stuff, the books and the facts and all, were kind of rotated around making sure that that one, and it's a skill in a way, that one skill mm-hmm. of patience, that one skill of tolerance or empathy is there in students as they go through their education and they come out the other end, patient, tolerant, empathetic people. That would go a long way. I just thought of one person who I've listened to many times, and you're probably familiar with his name, Eckhart Tolle. Yeah, I am. I used to say Tolle, but I just learned the other day that it's Tolle. Okay. And what does he say? Well, he talks about discovery of the, not the analytical side of yourself, but the spiritual side, the subconscious. Yeah. The one that is not affected by comparative analysis, because a lot of the things we do in life, everything's about comparison. Mm Mm-hmm. Are you better than me? Are you taller than me? Are you shorter than me? Are you smarter than me? We align ourselves with physical objects. Yeah. Furnishings in a room, the color of your car, your possessions, whatever. So you're being guided by things that are all very short term. Right. Yeah. The thing is, what you're talking about when you raise Eckhart Tolle, the spiritual side, is that we need to obviously recognize that we are all spiritual beings. We are all human beings. We live, we die, we share in much more than we don't share. So when these issues come up and we're divided one from another, we are actually not really that different. There may be a difference of opinion. There may be some misinformation happening. Our job is not to fight each other and to polarize, but to find a way of crossing the no man's land Mm -hmm. and seeing the similarities and the shared values that we all have as human beings. It's worldwide. We do have to find a way of not censoring the other person because the other person might say something in the next 10 seconds, which is earth shattering for you, Mm -hmm. or which is a deep truth or is something brand new and creative that you've never heard before. Never considered. And, And the world has now got something important in their hands because you allowed them to speak. Mm-hmm. So shut up, listen first, try to find the commonalities and minimize censoring yourself or the other person. So here we are, and we haven't solved the world problems. <laughs> uh, but, so we're going to end it here. But, we got to end it here. But who's the new listener from that city you mentioned, that obscure city? that New uh, Delhi? Is it New Delhi? There's a few in India. Kirkland. Oh, Kirkland, Ontario. Yeah, Kirkland, Ontario. Hi to that listener in Kirkland, Ontario. If you're right. listening, we want to thank you. And the people in Vaughan, we seem to have gotten a group of in Vaughan. I'm not sure who they are. Oh, yeah? Vaughan, New Delhi, you said? Yeah, New Delhi, India. Fantastic. We have a few areas in India now, and they're accessing our music stuff more oh, cool. than anything. So all of you folks uh, in India who are tuning in, thank you very, very much. We mm. really appreciate your support. And uh, keep tuning in. Keep downloading episodes. We have 135 now. 
to choose from. This right? one is 136. And then 136 will be this one. And also send in your comments. We love to hear your comments. And uh, if you have ideas for programs, we're happy to, to take them and make them into a conversation because that's yeah. what this is all about. And if you don't want to leave an email or a comment by typing, you can simply go to our website at thesoulpodcast.com. There's a little button on the side of the page. Just tap it and record your voice. And on that note, I have to say, ciao, Peter. Ciao, Harry. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com.